whether or not you're establishing your own niche and developing your own sound and creating an itch that only you can scratch, or you are identifying a, an extremely common itch and figuring out your own way to scratch it. Those are really the two ways that you're, that you're able to kind of fit a mold and stand out from the pack. And, and you have to do that by really med meditating on that as a band and, you know, kind of figuring out what makes you stand out. When you're out at concerts, you're not just watching the band, but you're watching the way the crowd responds to the band. And if people are, you know, have a face or they're like, you can tell that they're really into it or they know the lyrics, even if there's not a ton of people there, if the people that are there are having a real connection to the music, that's almost as important that you could say, hey, if only if these 10 people are freaking out because of the show, if the, if the venue is more full, if this person was put on stage with a full room, they would have that same impact to people that hadn't heard their music either. What's up, everybody? We got a very special guest on the show today, Mr. Johnny Scoblianco. He's a, a dear friend. I work with him at, at Bauer Entertainment Marketing. And yeah, fucking love you, Johnny. Super glad to have you here on the show, man. How you doing this evening? I'm doing great, man. Um, it's uh, really an honor to be on, on the pod. If anyone out there listening, Johnny actually hooked me up with a pretty amazing job at a, a firm called Bauer Entertainment Marketing which is a digital marketing agency for events specifically. Um, and yeah, Johnny, to start this off, I think it'd be good for you just to kind of introduce what you do with BEM and really what, what makes BEM um, BEM. Like, like speak about our specialty as a company a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I've been with BEM for uh, about two years now. I'm a senior account manager our specialty is really anything that involves entertainment, we help make it happen and make sure that people are there and they're having fun. We have a lot of clients that we work in pairing with their in-house marketing teams, whether they have like a social media person or an email person, but they just kind of need more support. We also have a bunch of clients that we are their in-house team. And for example, that would be, um, they have a digital ad budget of X amount for, for a festival, they want to sell 10,000 tickets and, and they do everything for their marketing, but they need help with that specifically. And, and if you're out there listening, like that's, that's really at the center of what Johnny and I will do is, is put together a strategy to sell tickets. That's mainly the thing, but you know, there's a lot of other elements that, that BEM covers, whether that's um, organic social media, website design, all this fun stuff. And, and we're pretty much constantly considering new interns to bring on uh, as well as new coordinators so if you're out there listening um definitely check us out bauer entertainment marketing and we've also got this cool system on our site where you can request three free ideas um and yeah we'll just you know look, take a look at your website and give you three personalized recommendations about how you can improve your marketing and yeah so so that's what i do you know from, from aside from this that's that's my day-to-day -day and um, we got Johnny on the pod today. So, so Johnny, a lot of people who listen to this, yes, they may be fans of our guests, but um, they're also there's there's up and coming artists who listen to this, as well as managers, music industry people. I'd love to hear from you. If I'm in a band and I'm I'm looking to to really get off the ground, grow my fan base, not plateau, uh, and have a sustainable career as an artist. What give me your checklist? What are the most important things from a marketing perspective that I need to be considering? 
Absolutely. Uh, the first thing I would say is you got to find a void and fill it. Whether or not that is a sound that is entirely unique or entirely contrived. Sometimes it doesn't matter. What matters is you're finding that void. Um, so whether or not you are, you know, a prominent cover band or you're an up and coming live tronic, like psych disco band, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, it, it like, it, whether or not you're establishing your own niche and developing your own sound and creating an itch that only you can scratch, or you are identifying a, an extremely common itch and figuring out your own way to scratch it. Um, but you, you know, those are really the two ways that you're, that you're able to kind of fit a mold and stand out from the pack. And, and you have to do that by really med meditating on that as a band and, you know, kind of figuring out what makes you stand out. Um, you know, I, I think a, a band has a lot of meanings now. Um, you know, some bands don't want to be famous. That's not what they're trying to do. They just want to play their own music. And for a lot of people, I would say like the best way to find your own sound is not relying on that music to pay your bills. So like sometimes that opens up the doorway to experiment and find your own niche. Sometimes like you don't have that time. You don't have that luxury. So like figure out what that common itch is that you that you see commonly scratched and figure out how to scratch it better than anyone else's. So going deeper down this rabbit hole, let's let's say you're an artist and, and you've got your sauce, you know, that's not the thing for you. But the thing is taking, you know, your itch that you're you're scratching and really amplifying that to be your career. You know, what, what would you say are, are the main sticking points that go along with that? Figure out the obstacles. Yeah, like it's not about, you know, I, I've now started joking with our whole team at work, like every ticket buyer now is like a Yale, is like a Yale administrator in the admissions office, you know, and in the admissions office, they're not looking for a reason to accept you. They're looking for that one reason not to. Um, so you have to be able to know what that is. Like if you're a band, you have to know why someone is not going to buy tickets to your show because you have to be able to convince them otherwise. And if you don't know what other shows are happening in that area, what, you know, similar bands are pulling your fans, like what, you know, is there a pro sports game going on? Like, if you don't know any of those things going on that might impact your fan base, then, you know, how are you, how are you supposed to convince someone to come and see you? Something that every band deals with now is saturation. So like, how can you, how can you rise to the top? Like it's no longer, it's no longer enough to just be really good at your instruments. Like you have to, you have to be a brand. Um, you know, I think every, every band, you know, if you're just like a group of guys and you just want to have, or a group of people, and you just want to have fun and like play some bar shows for your friends and like get rowdy on the weekends. And that's awesome. I've had plenty of friends that do that and are really fulfilled by that, but it's not like, 
what, you know, they don't look at it as I'm a professional musician. It's like, yeah, I do this for fun and I make money playing bar gigs. If what you want is to make waves in this industry, then you better be damn sure that you have a marketing and business specialist like in your core team. You better be sure that you have a photographer documenting every single day that you have as a band. Because if you truly believe you're gonna be great, then those little things early on are gonna be worth so much later on. And you've gotta position yourself to have the like to have those little gems. So you're bringing up building a brand and having really on point marketing as as a band. And I want to put that under a microscope. Like we live in a world where where agents are telling musicians to get all these views on TikTok and and what's your Spotify monthly listeners and and there's a lot of vanity metrics that get tossed around that don't necessarily translate to having a core fan base that um you know, having a lot of people that actually will come and see you and love you and help, help me draw that line in the sand between what is vanity marketing and what is good marketing and really how bands should be approaching digital marketing where their resources, their time is spread so thin that uh, they can't, they can't really be doing everything. I mean, already they're coming at it from a loss financially. Um, so help us like cut through the fog with with all the different things one could be doing from the marketing and, and what really is most important? Well, especially for up and coming bands, content. I mean, the more content you have, the better. Like if you're if you're a new up and coming band, you should have you should have your photographer. Like, obviously, you probably can't afford to have them exclusively, but like, you know much like many of these larger bands, um, your boy Adam with Goots, um, Jesse with Billy Strings. Uh, there are, you know, a few kind of rotating people with Fish. You know, you got Josh Timmermans, who's at every single Panic show. The earlier you can start that and the earlier you can build a band beyond the people on stage and look at it as you, like, your band does not end with the people playing music. You know, you have your lighting guy, you have your sound guy, you have your photographer, you have your marketing person. And like, you have to make sure that that team is solid and that team is loyal. Because as you grow as a band, you're gonna have to start outsourcing those people. And if you don't have a really core team that believes in what you're doing beyond just the people who are playing the notes and who really like the notes that they are playing, I'm talking people who are willing to work for not that much money because they believe that, you know, you're gonna be great in the future. Um, you know, if you don't have that, as you expand and you need that, that's gonna burn a hole in your pockets. But I think it's often overlooked at how important it is early on to have like your team and like, that trickles down into the fan base you know the, the, like you see that like what you when a band is good enough to have a crew that actually loves them and that's why they're working for them they're absolutely going to have fans like regular fans like that's that's just how that works but like as a growing band, it's crucial that like you grow your band, like you're growing a group of friends and everyone needs to feel like they're 
they're a part of it and they're integral and like you know without them without their input you don't have anything and so like especially in the early stages if if you know when a band has that they need to look to that fan base to say and say like what what now what do you want as opposed to like we're the artists take whatever we're gonna give you because like that doesn't work for most artists and that is a great way to isolate fans that's that's a hot take i like it johnny I'm Katie, producer of Weird Music Podcast. I want to give a big shout out to Voodoo Ranger. <laughs> Live rangerously. Well, if you made it this far, thank you for listening. Just want to let y'all know we've got these hand-dyed, ice-dyed Weird Music Podcast hoodies and also tees. If you'd like one, let us know. We'd love to get you one. And a big thank you to the geniuses over at Thrax CBD for sponsoring us with their amazing products. Also want to give a big thank you to J&J Distribution, Ohio's premier Delta 8 and CBD wholesale supplier. Retailers, check out their brands Cloud 8, Compassionate Buds, and Zaza. Got links in the description. And yeah, much love, y'all. Now back to the episode. So we mentioned you and I both work for BEM. We, we love our gigs and we're working with a truly amazing company. And people out there who are still finding their path, still you know, trying to see what their career might be aside from musicians, like what advice do you have for people about having success as a young professional? Work. At, at work as much as you can. Um, and that's it, like, I would have hated that if someone told that to me when I was 20 years old, but like it, every single entry-level job requires like three years experience at this point like no one is hiring someone with no experience if you are in college and you aren't working you're not doing enough it's a very unpopular uh, opinion my approach like my approach to school but like everything i learned about my industry was outside of the classroom i was in pr classes i was in marketing classes and I had the benefit of being the work study in the communications department where, you know, I majored and I went to a very small school and, you know, I would talk to my professors and I would be like, listen, you know, I have to miss this public relations class. I'm literally going to be on the public relations team for a festival for 25,000 attendees. Like, I will write you an essay about why what I am doing is relevant to whatever your topic is for today's class. And that was like what I did all through school. It was never about getting an A. It was always about getting a B and being able to demonstrate that I had experience in whatever that class was in. You know, I think everybody gets so hung up on grades when they're younger. People forget that when you're after two years out of school, like nobody cares what your GPA was. Nobody cares what classes you took. No, like nobody cares what your major was. People care what you have done. People care what you did through school. You know, that, that piece of paper that you get at the end is, is a piece of paper that says, I can show up for, you know, for four years. Five, I was on the five-year plan, uh, but like, you know, but that's, that's what it was like. It wasn't anything more than that. And I didn't, and I knew that going into college. 
I was like, I need to learn how to be a professional. Like, and I, I looked around and everyone I was in school with was just like focused on partying and like, you know, they'd go, they would, they'd cram everything that, you know, we'd went over in the last semester, like the night before the exam and then take the exam and then they would forget it all. I started the music column at my school paper. I started taking pictures for that school paper. I started writing for an outside music blog. I started DJing for the radio station. I then became the, the marketing director for the student media department. And then I threw a festival. And then I booked it, you know, and then I threw, I threw that festival twice. Um, and then I brought a concert to the 92 year old historic landmark theater at Rollins. I brought Marco Benevento to play at Rollins. Like that was what college was about for me. That was my work in college. That's not everybody's work. Not everybody wants to toe that line. But like, you know, if you're under 25, chances are you have the luxury of time of like figuring out what you really like. And I would use the time that you can, you know, that you can manage to be underpaid to figure to find that job that you really like and to get that experience so that in five years, you're not underpaid when you want to do that thing. I will say if you're over 25 and, you know, it's never too late to start and, and you can certainly, you can certainly get experience while still working another job. And I think that also applies to being a musician. Like, you know, if you're relying on your music to pay all of your bills from the get-go, your music might not be as it would be if you were already set financially and could create whatever you want. Yeah. Um, I use 25 as kind of like, I, I feel like the, once you get over 25, the, the financial pressures, I feel like really start to like bear down on you a little bit more. Um, but you're absolutely right in that. Like it is, it's never, it's never too late to make a pivot. Um, but don't waste time. Like time is the most valuable thing that you have. Time is way more valuable than money. Like I quit the entertainment industry right before the pandemic. I was like, I, because I was so passion driven, I only wanted to work with music that I liked and that I thought was benefiting the world on a personal level and like was all about me. And like, I couldn't pull myself out of it. And I had to step away from the music industry. And if I had never have done that, I would have never have worked the three shitty jobs that I did afterwards before I found Brian, who is the, the founder of BEM. Like I found Brian during the pandemic, during a time in which the entire entertainment industry was like pretty much under. And I was like, well, if I'm gonna get back into this industry, like I'm gonna need to be myself. Like, and I'm not going back into this industry if I can't be myself in the work. You know, if I would have forced one thing, like if I would have forced leaving the entertainment industry and saying, this burnt me, it chewed me up and spat me out. I can never go back. And I would have just remained scared. I never would have found Brian and I never would have had this job. And like, I love this job so much. Um, Hell yeah. And if I would have 
fought to stay in the industry, I I probably still wouldn't have found Brian because I wouldn't have I wouldn't have gone down the trajectory that I did during the pandemic, in which I was working in a warehouse, I was doing customer service, and I was doing like social media campaigns for some guy who was trying to convince people to move out of Chicago. And I was like, I don't like any of this. It's hardly paying my bills, but like, I'm just trying to make sure my resume is still active. You always have to make sure you're looking two steps ahead. So even if you don't like what you're doing right now and you don't know like what, how to, how to, you know, how to make that next step, build the resume. Hmm. It's like something will come. If you're good at what you do, eventually someone will need you. Johnny Scopes, dude, thank you for joining me here. You are an incredible friend, an incredible marketer. Man, I'm proud to know you. Johnny Scopes, Mr. Full Sequin himself. <laughs> Round of applause, man. Thank you. And a big, big shout out to you. Those of you who uh, who don't know me don't know that Cam actually convinced me to uh, start playing drums again. Uh, and this was during the pandemic when he was learning how to play guitar and he was way better at guitar than I was at drums or bass. And now I have my own full fledged set at home and I play every day. Uh, and all that is attributed to Cam. Because you literally looked at me and you were like, dude, it's never too late. We're in the middle of a pandemic and I really need a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. You're right. I'm going to drum. I love you, bro. Thank this you so much. I love bro. you too. Here we are with Paul Bakker. Paul, man, so glad to have you here. How you doing today? Cam, I'm great. Thanks for having me, dude. It's good to be here with you. So everyone out there listening, Paul here, he's a talent buyer for the Brooklyn Bowl, both the Philly location uh, and also Williamsburg. And yeah, man, the Brooklyn Bowl, it's about about as legendary as independent venues get. So, you know, really glad to have it represented here today and get to pick your brain about all kinds of nuances with how you evaluate artists, what you see working well for artists and, and really kind of the ins and outs of your day to day. Um, Paul, to start this off, I think it'd be really cool to just kind of hear, you know, I'm sure any talent buyer's inbox is likely flooded with, you know, kinds of proposals and pitches for different bands to come, you know, looking for a night on the calendar, et cetera. Um, and it can be tough for, for new bands to break into places, especially places like the Brooklyn Bowl. And, and I'm curious with you, like, how do you kind of evaluate talent, especially when it comes to bringing in new acts that, that may be kind of unestablished? Sure. Uh, well, thankfully, all of those requests aren't going to my personal inbox. Um, then I really would be pretty flooded. We do have a general booking email that you'll find online on our venues. Um, and, and all of those do come across my desk in one way or another. Um, they're just not directed at me so that the person following up is not continuing to, you know, uh, one piece of advice I learned was no response is a response. Um, and you know, usually that email is getting in front of the eyes that you're intending for it. And if the person isn't choosing to respond to it, then they've, you know, made the decision that it wasn't the right move for them at that time. That said, things are always changing. And if you follow up two months later and the situation is different, you may get a different result. So I am seeing a lot of these uh, incoming requests from bands. And 
I pretty much uh, will give the same respect that I get. Um, so if I get a blind copy email that's addressed to the Bowery Electric or to Bowery Ballroom, that is not getting a response, even if it might be a band that's uh, you know possibly good for the room, because I can see that the person obviously was in a rush and was just sending out a mass email to all the venues in the market and didn't care so much about my venue in particular or working with me as much as just getting any any sort of show. So that happens more often than you'd think. And frankly, it's you know it happens with me too. If I'm firing off a bunch of offers, or I might say the agent's name wrong or or the band's name wrong. So it goes both ways. But um, big piece of advice is make sure you know who you're emailing. Make sure it's addressed personally to that venue or talent buyer if you happen to know who they are, um, because I think just on a personal level, <clears throat> people appreciate it if you if you're specifically saying I'm excited about playing the Brooklyn Bowl in particular. Here's why, rather than just we can't wait to play your venue. You know, if if nothing else, just at least go in and change the name of the venue. If you just have a blanket template, we all do it, you know, but uh, uh, just little things like that to, to make the person reading it know that you actually took the time to, you know, send this particular email to this venue uh, is kind of step number one. Um, and then, you know, you, you want to see that person, so, someone took some, some time to actually craft a reasonable pitch as to why we should consider your band. But besides, I'm interested in playing your venue or I have a great Pink Floyd tribute, please respond. Um, you know, we want to hear history about your act. Where have you been playing? Um, you know, send us many videos of concerts that you've had. So we, we don't just hear your music, but we can actually see the crowd response to your show. If there is a crowd at your show, Brooklyn Bowl is not uh, you know, a, a place that looks good with 100 people in it. So even if you're bringing out 75 people, you know, to shows, it probably doesn't make sense for you to headline the Brooklyn Bowl. That said, maybe there's a support opportunity and it's helpful if you're reaching out with specific shows in mind. Maybe if you see shows that are announcing and you're saying, I saw a few shows announced, checking to see if you needed local support on any of these. We've been doing some good numbers at, at small clubs in the market. And we'd love to get into the Brooklyn Bowl. We think we're a great fit. Something like that is going to get a response much more so than do you have any support, support slots for us without any additional info. Hmm. That's interesting to hear you mentioning like videos where you can really see crowd engagement as, as one of the things you're really looking at. Can you, can you talk to me more in depth about that? And, you know, we're in a world where, where some artists are being told like TikTok, TikTok, and, and other artists are like kind of rebelling against that, I guess, and, and just doing what, you know, whatever they feel is best. And, you know, I think it'd be great to hear from you, like what sorts of actual like metrics or barometer points are you are you really looking at when you, when you're evaluating an artist other than of course the obvious like ticket sales in the market recently yeah um don't get me wrong we get plenty of pitches from agents and managers who are you know championing the metrics of spotify and tiktok and views even though they haven't played any ticketed shows before and we do take those seriously if it's a well-known agent who we've had success with before uh, or manager, or the numbers are just so outrageous that it's worth considering and thinking about. But the Brooklyn Bowl has always been known as sort of a, a venue for musicians and a place for live improvisational music and collaboration. And we don't have too many instances, at least uh, historically, of promoting sort of overnight sensation pop stars. Uh, we're primarily a 21 plus venue in New York, and, and we try to be in Philly. And a lot of these internet sensations are typically bringing in a younger younger crowd. 
that is not really eating and drinking and bowling, which is kind of what the venue was designed to promote that experience. So, and then on just a personal subjective level, like we, we're more interested in, in booking great musicians um, and fostering a community of, of musical collaboration. And so the two of those don't always jive. We do need to fill the venue's calendar with programming. And a lot of times these artists that are getting so popular on, on TikTok and on, on the internet are doing so for a reason because they are really talented. Um, but it's it's certainly not an obvious, you know, just because you have this many millions of views or, uh, or streams means you're getting an offer from us. You know, when, when I go to a lot of concerts and when you're out at concerts, you're not just watching the band, but you're watching the way the crowd responds to the band. And if people are, you know, have a face or they're like, you can tell that they're really into it or they know the lyrics even if there's not a ton of people there, if the people that are there are having a real connection to the music, that's almost as important that you could say, hey, if only if these 10 people are freaking out because of the show, if the if the venue was more full, if this person was put on stage with a full room, they would have that same impact to people that hadn't heard their music either. So that is important to get that sort of context and 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 visual information from an artist who wants to play the room. Mm. Jump into the side just a little bit here. You know, I'd love to hear your take on on people you you've worked with in the past, people on your team, and really what some of the qualities, traits, and like like attributes are that you admire most in people you work with. I mean, a lot of it of this job is your instincts and experience. Um, so when you've booked thousands of shows, you can you can you can sense a bullshit artist pitch, or when someone's inflating their numbers, or you know. If an artist tells me, yeah, we've played New York before, we've uh, we played this, this, and this venue, and then I check with the buyer from that venue and they say, I've never heard of them, they never played here. You know, um, you develop instincts on how to assess, like, is you know, if, if you get a great pitch email, the Instagram uh, curation and, and design and branding looks beautiful, they have a good team behind them. Even if they haven't played many shows, you're usually gonna be like, okay, they got a really a team of professionals behind them, all their stuff looks super pro. I'm I'm down to to give this band whatever they're asking for. Um, so you develop these instincts that really only come with experience. But I've always admired people that are just so decisive and can you know can suss out bullshit and understand when something's legit, when something needs more time. Um, and that really only comes with like booking a lot of shows and getting burned on a lot of them. Paul, I'm curious. Like, let's say your cousin is is starting a band and. You know, he's not necessarily looking to play the Brooklyn Bowl right away, but he wants your advice, like from a marketing perspective, from a branding perspective. What do I need to be doing to to actually make this sustainable, to build a fan base? And, you know, once I hit a certain point to not plateau, like what kind of advice can you share with up and coming artists about that? Mm -hmm. I mean, I... Obviously, people will say, you know, you need to create content, be living and dying or living and breathing the Internet and making sure you're creating and, and fostering a cool community online. Um, that's not really where I live and where I'm going to find music. I go out a lot to smaller clubs and I like, you know, meeting musicians and, and being in that community more on the live side of things. So I'm sure there's someone else who could, you know, properly advise as to better strategies for uh, keeping your fans engaged online and getting metrics up that way. But for me, I think just being out and playing a lot of shows, maybe it's just like free shows a lot. There's a lot of cool venues that I go to, whether it's like Skinny Dennis in Brooklyn or Time in Philadelphia. 
um, or Mona is in New York, where you can get exposure to a lot of people without having to sell yourself as like, I, I sell a lot of tickets. If you're a really good quality musician and you fit in with the, with the vibe of that venue that you're going to, um, you'll always have an audience and you can use that like on a personal level, talk to every person there, share your Instagram. Like, I think there's nothing that replaces like the live connection of just, even if it's just one by one, every person you talk to and say, Hey, I mean a lot of you to give me a follow and building your base that way. Um, I think there's, you know, obviously there's like pressures of having to make money to sustain yourself, but if it's possible for you to go out and gig, you know, a few nights a week at different spots that, that get you in front of a different crowd without having to worry about, you know, advertising and selling tickets, I think that's a, that's a pretty good move. And then making sure that you're networking with the right talent buyers and promoters in your city and find, you know, there's a promoter for every genre, you know, there's, there's CEG in New York. If you're a jammy funky band, there's, 4333 Collective in Philadelphia, if you're a DIY punk band. Um, there's Rocks Off, if you're a metal band in New York. Like, There's different promoters where if you align with uh, the shows that they're booking and get on their radar, then you're going to get a lot of opportunities. So you know, get out in front of people, make relationships with venues, um, and make relationships with promoters. And make sure that your stuff is like has sort of a, a pocket where you're going to thrive. Um, if you're just a a tribute band that's great like a lot of bars need tribute bands and and that's going to be you know very useful for a lot of bars on a friday saturday night who are trying to make a lot of money if you're a country band you know find that scene whether it's promoter or venue who is promoting that sort of uh, that music and that scene um and whatever you're and just find the community in the city that you're in and and dive into it and you know get out there a lot you know after this i'm going downtown to a local artist who invited me out to his album release and I've always liked his music. So I'm going to go check it out. And it's probably likely that he'll get a slot at Brooklyn bowl one day because he's made a point to stay in touch with me and ask me and, and let me know shows that he has coming up. And, you know, the first three I didn't go to, but now, you know, I'm not doing anything tonight. I'm going to go to the show. So persistence pays off. I love it. I love it. I'm curious, like, so Paul, from you, for you as a fan, you know, technical ability, a lot of people have really, really impressive chops, but that's not always the thing that creates fandom that, that makes someone love an artist. And just like from your perspective, what are the things about the music you love the most that, you know, really captivates you? Like your favorite artists, the, the thing about them that, that ultimately like you want to tell your friends about, like, I'm curious to hear, hear that from you. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's different levels. There's there's like pure musicianship. If there's someone who's just so incredible at soloing and playing an instrument that they're a cut above the rest, that resonates with me. There is, you know, songwriting where if they just have really catchy original songs that stick in my head, that's something that sticks with me. There is the image of the band themselves. There's a band called Snack Time here in Philadelphia that, you know, is a brass band but they have something different about them and just the way they carry themselves. They have like a swag and they have great branding. They align themselves with a different chef in a lot of the shows that they do. They have amazing merch. And so they have this just really cool brand that sets themselves apart. And I've heard so many brass bands. Um, so they're excellent at you know being a brass band, but they also just have a much deeper layers to them um, that like piques my interest more than most bands. So I think there's just like, 
uh, th- those three you know, different uh, avenues like really attract me. Um, and a lot of it is just like, you can't quite put your finger on it. Like some of it just resonates with you. Um, and some of it doesn't, you know, <clears throat> I really hate olives and there's just nothing I can do. That's going to get me to like olives, you know, and other people love them, you know, so it doesn't work for everyone, but for me, like I know something when it fucking hits with me. Um, we had this band couch just open for St. Paul and the broken bones. And it was incredible. Like can't quite put my finger on what it was. Like they had the look, they had the songs, they were funky. They were great people, but I would probably put a lot of money on them that they're going to be massive really soon. Hmm. Well, Paul, man, love, love hearing your insights and advice. You have any, anything else rattling around your brain that you think would be really important for up and coming artists to hear to, to do? Um, I think I touched on it, but you know, like, like I said, with timing, you know, even where I got to, where I got to like timing really is everything. Keeping those relationships warm, checking in every few months, like, don't pester someone every week, um, but give someone updates on what you're up to. You know, if, if I need support on a show and support just fell through and I get that email coming through for the, maybe the fourth or fifth time in a year that, Hey, just checking in. We just, you know, sold out this show and would love to find a slot. You know, as it turns out, I'm looking for support right now. Let's do it. And so, you know, you want to find that line between persistence and annoying someone. Um, but a lot of times just like being there at the right time will get you that opportunity that you're looking for. Um, and the networking part of it is just like so important. Um, inviting promoters and venue owners out to your shows, um, getting to know who's booking the shows in your market and, um, and figuring out a way, whether even if it's just like getting coffee with them. I did that a lot when I was coming up, just calling up people, managers, agents, venue operators, and just saying, can I take you out for coffee for 30 minutes? Like it's paid off for me. Um, not everyone's going to be receptive to it. You're going to get more no's than anything. But, you know, if you get one yes and 10 no's, then, it's, you know, you're going to learn something from it. So definitely encourage people to just do their research um, on who's, you know, who's kind of fostering the ecosystem and, and the environment in your market and and aligning yourself with that scene. Keep following up with people and um doing your best to set yourself apart you know professionally musically um visually branding wise all that stuff mm. um hell yeah and now now paul let's say you're listening to this interview right now and and you're not a musician you're maybe you're a music fan maybe you just graduated college maybe maybe you want a job like you have where you know you're working for the brooklyn bowl or or ceg or you know some other amazing company in the music industry Curious what advice you might share to to young professionals about, you know, working their way into to a great role and then ultimately like, you know, what it takes to to have long term success in, in something similar to what you do. Yeah. And not specifically from the perspective of being a successful talent buyer, more from the perspective of being a great teammate. Sure. Um, I would just say, like, you need to demonstrate value. Um, what do you bring to the table? And you probably don't know anything until you start doing it. Um, so you're not going to be really trusted or compensated until you've proved that like you can hang. So for me, like I had to work for free for a while um, before I could, you know, get a paid assistant job, which was still really low money. And, you know, I was living at home at the time. I had the luxury of being able to 
you know, not pay rent and take a train to the city to, to do an internship. Um, and so I realize it's not a viable option for everybody, but if it's possible, like maybe it's you're you're working at home and you're managing the social media of a band that you found online that you like, you know, find a way that you can demonstrate value in someone um, and also put that on your resume. So if it's, you know, hey, let me run your social media because you're a venue that I like in town, or you're just a bar who does shows and your event and your marketing sucks. You know, I know social media really well. You don't have to pay me. Let me show you that I can do this for a couple months. And if you do a good job and you, you know, generate traffic for them, they probably will hire you. And if you don't, then you can put on your resume and go to another venue and say, I've been running social media for these guys. Check it out. And they'll say, oh, wow, this social media looks good. Maybe we should hire this person. Or you do that for a band or you hang flyers for a venue for free. Like there's a lot of different ways where if you trust that you have something to provide and like you have a, an asset, um, you know, show, find a way to demonstrate that in a professional way and use that to leverage maybe a paid gig in the future. Um, that's pretty much what I did. In your day-to-day, you know, big ass workload, a lot of touch points with, with different people in social situations. Um, you might get really, really stressed from time to time. Um, and you, you know, you have to step up and, and do a great job. You know, I'm probably describing the situation of, of many people out there, but with you specifically, I'm curious, like something you stay away from, something you avoid in your day-to-day, whether that's a, a behavior or um, a habit or, or something you don't do that you think allows you to be successful. Mm. Um, I mean, <clears throat> at this point, I don't go at it alone. Like there's a lot of times where, you know, I, I really want to, I have an instinctual reaction to something and I want to fire back if it's, you know, somebody passed on my offer and I want to, you know, really hammer them as to like, you shouldn't have passed because of this, this, and this, or, you know, I have such a great team around me now. Um, Lucas Saxon, New York is our director of booking. Kirk Peterson oversees all the bowls in the Capitol theater. Uh, obviously Peter Shapiro is, you know, the owner of the company. Um, and they've all been doing it a lot longer than me. So even though, you know, I, I have, I trust my instincts and, you know, and feel good about, you know, my, my usual response to things. I do stop myself sometimes from reacting too quickly and and putting a pause on it and getting a second take. Um, and a lot of times the response that they'll advise me is much more measured and diplomatic than, you know, perhaps I wanted to to really imply that, you know, there was a it, 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 or like blackmail or threaten or, that, you know, there's different ways you can be like, you know, that really sucks that you, you know, you confirmed to this other venue because I know you're holding for this other artist. and. It would be a real shame if we didn't were able to confirm a date for them. You know, you can't be, you know, doing shit like that so overtly, or at least, you know. So I do appreciate um having the team to lean on, even though I'm in a position where, you know, I'm kind of running point on things in Philly. Um, it's nice just to be able to 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 fall back on 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 people who have been doing it for so much longer and whose instincts are even sharper than mine. Um, if I run into a situation where I'm ready to really kind of overreact. Hmm. Yeah, valuable to have multiple angles of looking at something, especially a, a third-party non-emotional one. Teamwork makes the dream work, baby. What does growth and improvement look like for you as a person these days? Uh, as long as I'm I'm learning more, I'm around people that are smarter than me. That's always been important to me. Um, you know, I was in Brooklyn before the pandemic. Um, and then once we came out of it, um, we heard that Brooklyn Bull Philly was opening. They wanted me to move there. They wanted me to work um, with the promoters in Philadelphia, Jeff Gordon, Molly Warren, 
um, John Hampton. These are people that are doing the, you know, the biggest shows uh, in the market in the East Coast, in the country, some of the most famous promoters uh, in our time. And I get to work with them, you know, very closely. Um, so I don't take that for granted. And I certainly don't think that, you know, I've learned what I can here and it's time to move on to the next thing. Um, they are, you know, they're funneling, they're, they're doing things where we're opening up our whole block to a, a multi-festival, a multi-venue festival. One ticket gets you into the Fillmore, into the Brooklyn Bowl, into the Foundry. These are things that I have not even touched at all. And, and I've only done once now here in the market. So there's a lot more to go. It's really important to make sure that you're working for people that you respect and admire and you don't feel like you're stagnant. So uh, even if, you know, I'm here for another two, three, five years, as long as I feel that, you know, I'm still have a lot to learn and I'm, and I'm getting a lot out of the experience, it doesn't matter whether I'm not booking a bigger, bigger venue next year or the year after that. Um, for me, it's more internally important that um, I can sense that I'm learning something every day. And I definitely am at this point. And I also get to work on New York as well. So uh, this has already been a huge um, growth experience for me from 2019. Um, and then of course, you know, having a year and a half off during the pandemic was basically not, not starting from zero, but you know, it kind of took a little bit to get back to, into, to, to top shape, um, after such a long time off. And now yeah, having a brave new world of reassessing artist value and touring expenses and all sorts of things. Um, so it's been a crazy learning experience. And as long as that continues, I'm happy. And Brooklyn Bowl is really expanding a lot. I don't know if you saw the DC press release came out. Um, so the DC venue is opening and, you know, there's no reason to think that that won't continue. Um, so if I can be with a company that's, you know, growing and I was there early and it's a company that I really love personally, um, I don't really think I can ask for anything more than that. Hell yeah. Well, Man, thank you for being so generous with with all that you you know you've been learning about about the ins and outs of this wacky industry here on the show. Got got one thing I think be good for us to to run out of here with. If there's one takeaway, one piece of advice, one lesson from from your story, how you've gotten to where you are, and you know what you've been through, what what would you say that that one mantra would be? Um, I would you know for me it's been a lot of uh. You know, I, I've, I've put a lot of pressure on myself to get to where I am. And sometimes I wonder if everything would have worked out had I not been so worried about it or because I was so worried about it. And I haven't quite figured out the answer to that question, but I do know that, you know, I have a fire slash panic paranoia, like that really fuels me. Um and it's it causes me to work the 10, 12 hour days to be excited about, you know, steering the ship of a company in a market, uh, opening a new market that, you know, that doesn't know Brooklyn Bull and, and being an ambassador for a, a scene that I fell in love with early on. So, of course, you know, people say do what you're passionate about. And I've, I definitely agree with that. But it comes with a lot of, of internal pressure that I put on myself. Um, and, you know, the passion when you make the passion your career. Um, you know, there's something that comes with that. That's also, you know, a, a huge responsibility. That's not certainly not just all, you know, loving every second, but also, you know, really, um, being hard on yourself to live up to, you know, what you think the person in that role should be doing and, and, uh, the results that you should be getting. So that, you know, has come with a lot of stress, um, but also a lot of fulfillment. So 
I would just be ready to take on that pressure um, if you're putting yourself in that sort of uh, dream list situation. I really appreciate it. I love a lot of your answers, man. Thank you for taking the time to to come here. And yeah, as we're wrapping up, any managers out there listening, how can they get in touch with you? Where can they find Uh, you? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm on Instagram, Paul Bacher. Um, I'm Paul at brooklynbull.com. It's pretty easy to find. Um, I love, you know, hearing about what's happening in this scene. You know, Brooklyn Bowl is the coolest uh, thousand cap club you're going to find. It's just crazy experience, um, sensory experience, you know, experience of design and activities and a place to really, you know, spend more than a two hours seeing a show. Um, it's a place I fell in love with a long time ago. And, you know, it's hard to to keep that ethos and personality alive as you, you know, franchise and, and open up more places. But so far, what we've been doing has been really selective and um, each bowl that we've opened has had a lot of care and local input put into it. Um, the Philly team is just like top notch. All the best people in Philly um, are working there. And um, we've gotten just great response from artists in the venue, from managers and uh, really, you know, taking the mission seriously here. So if any artists or uh, managers are out there and, you know, haven't heard of Brooklyn Bowl, I encourage you to check it out, like go see a show there. Um, and put it on your radar as a place to, you know, build your career because uh, the promoters and marketers there like take their job seriously. And um, we're really proud to have like built and launched the careers of, you know, a lot of artists. Uh, We have Joe Russo's Almost Dead um, next week, uh, which is a band that was formed at the Brooklyn Bowl uh, and has since taken off to be an arena act, um, but will always come back every year and play the Brooklyn Bowl because that's where we started. that's you know the room where they were given the freedom to experiment and try different things, and that was the one that really took off. So that's uh, always a special time for us, and like there's nothing we want more than to repeat that with uh, a new generation. Hell yeah, Paul Bacher. We got links in the description. If you're a fan, check out Brooklyn Bowl Philly's calendar. We'll throw some links to other Brooklyn Bulls in there. Maybe you're in in a different city, but yeah, Paul. Shout out to you, man. Thanks again. Likewise, Cam. Keep it weird. Hell yeah.